Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm a seafarer. So I'm very, very, very excited to talk about Harpoon this fortnight. Now, Are you a seafarer, Sam? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a regular seafarer. Yeah. Are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. I okay. sail. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, you know, not as much as I as I might have once, but <laughs> I do <laughs> I do like being on a boat. Uh and I love the sea. The sea is my favourite place. I want I wish to be buried at sea, please. If anyone wants to do that. I'd rather be dead um before you do that. But uh, I was gonna say, Doug, that's very dark. We've got dark <laughs> fast. I'd rather be dead. <laughs> But uh, I tell you, I wouldn't. What I wouldn't rather be dead than do. That's discuss this film now. Harpoon is a relatively recent release by Arrow Video, so we are definitely not going to go into spoilers. So don't worry about that. Uh, in that spirit, I think we should say nothing about it other than the kind of very basic setup. Um, and Dan, you are very good at that. So, what is the plot of Harpoon? Three childhood friends whose relationship has become strained as they've gotten older end up taking a day trip on a boat like the old days only to find themselves out in the calms without enough fuel to get back and the small problems with their friendships grow bigger and bigger under the heat of the sun uh, threatening to tear them apart uh, possibly literally as well as figuratively. Right, let Yes, very good. And uh, I absolutely <laughs> love this film. The first time I saw it, I don't want to say any more than that, Dad. And loved it even more when revisiting it. Now, we watched it together uh, yeah. the first time. And you liked it, but you didn't love it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it was, it's an interesting one because it was we didn't see it. So it played at Fright Fest, but we actually saw, a, uh, saw it before, we, yeah. before it played at Fright Fest. And and although you know I've got a big screen and stuff, it's I think it benefited from the crowd certainly, mm. but also I don't think I'd realised quite what they'd been up against when they made it. Right, um, and so I was perhaps like it. It it's a it's a very accomplished film anyway. It's mm. an incredibly impressive film. Uh, we we talked last episode about extras and how they can change your well, not necessarily sort of extras. Uh, so basically, well, you, yes, yeah. When someone shows me their mood board and their shot list and you know their breakdown between the film being at the cinema and on home entertainment, I don't like that. But I do love no. commentaries and, and documentaries and yes. stuff you know when i'm revisiting it at home so yeah that that's yeah. it it's not extras that i had a problem with it it's this kind of this kind of trend that's happening at the moment of people to really show their hand of of everything that went into making the movie yeah. and i find that's all i can think about when i'm watching it a second time and that might be a filmmaker thing it might be it for just film fans you know it it the, the illusion isn't ruined but but you know when you think about things in in, in those terms that's all I can see when I watch movies if I well, so, have that level of detail. Do you know what I mean? Con yeah, conversely, and not to just have a repeat of, of last episode's conversation, yeah. so we'll steer away from this yeah. uh, as soon as we find the key. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> um, I, I think that 
for me, it's that I'm I'm automatically quite critical of films that aren't like really slick, right? Unless I know, like you you kind of level them with where they like. Oh fuck! I don't know how to how to say it. There's different you know different budgets. And you can achieve different things with different budgets. Mm. And basically, when you've got 200 million to make a fucking science fiction epic tempo, like, you know, blockbuster, mm. there's literally no excuse for it not to be perfect. Like, why you would set foot on set without the script being the best script that's ever been written is absolutely anathema to me. I cannot work out why those films aren't all amazing well it's so much i mean i i know why because there's a million people pulling in different directions and they're trying to please exactly the more money everyone you're right the more people (laughs) there are on set you know the the more voices there are and and the more chances there are of disagreements and so on and that can affect the purity of vision of a project Uh, sam the more people there are the statistically higher chance there is that one of them's a complete fucking idiot (laughs) well (laughs) you said it and not me (laughs) Uh, that is that is how it will be remembered (laughs) that is how it will be remembered so uh yeah no i i and carry on what were you going to say next i don't remember god damn it god damn it <laughs> but yeah no you're right exactly uh, yeah like I, I think the thing is when when a smaller film happens the there's a there's a higher chance of the uh director's vision being efficiently translated to the screen because they don't have other people you know when, when there's less yeah. pressure on them to recoup these huge budgets um you know to have a you know, have a many million dollar opening weekend, then they can be more personal, they can be more introspective, they can be more arty, and they can take chances. And that's where a lot of my favourite films exist, just because you get these personal stories. The problem I have, and this is entirely with me, is that I get grumpy about certain things that are forced because of budget. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed Hopu in the first time around, but I... Like I, I was picking at it for really unfair little things. Like they, I mean, they shot the whole. They, 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 they you know, they, they, sh- they shot the exteriors down uh, on location, and they had this tiny little uh, like Canadian studio space for the for the interiors. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's a bit cramped. That's not that's not fair. That's not fair. Um, yeah, and I so I've I've revisited it. I've watched it. If you count the commentaries, I've watched it multiple times now. Mm. I just keep on enjoying it more. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of hoped that would be your reaction to it. And, you know, also after we interviewed Rob Grant, the writer-director, who's a super, super lovely, interesting yes. and funny guy. Um, and I think that makes a difference. And he is very, very present on this uh, on this disc. Um, now, when we interviewed him at FrightFest, he revealed to the audience that one of the commentaries was recorded on psychedelics on on magic mushrooms um and i have to be completely honest when he said that you know obviously it's a funny thing to do um but i was also like do i want to listen to that is it just going to be someone talking shit for just under an hour and a half um however i found this possibly to be the best commentary i've ever heard 
like it's trans- it's really good it's transcendent like it's astonishing it's not only is it a, a step-by-step guide to the current indie film industry it's a really honest reflection on filmmaking and not in kind of a performative way but in a very simple and undramatic way um yeah it just it is fantastic on every level i've never identified with someone more everything he says including how it feels to screen a film that you've made is how i feel and so yeah rob grant feels like my soulmate at, at, at the moment um because of this commentary i loved it what did you <laughs> think of this commentary dan similar the same yeah i mean i very very similar i must say i do kind of wish there'd been a little bit more full-on like psychedelic freak out because that is what i was ready for <laughs> um yeah, but no yeah. it's an incredibly insightful uh, commentary i think one of the things that really benefited my my second uh and and you know subsequent watches um was i actually went back and watched uh several of his earlier films as well oh nice um and and watching his sort of progression as a director his so his day job is as an as, a, as an editor and he's worked on some pretty pretty big films uh, as an editor yeah um so he's he you know he lives around the film world uh, but he, uh, and and also, like, he says that he basically started making films so that he'd have stuff to cut when he wanted to learn how to, when he wanted to, not learn, but, like, you know, beef up his editing. Mm. Um, he, he wanted to do, and I was, like, I was directing short films when I was young because I didn't know anyone making films and I wanted to do special effects, so I'd do these short films based around an effect I'd thought of. Lovely. And so I sympathise with that greatly. Um, and there's, especially in his early, early stuff, there's, there's that really nice sort of like feeling of a of a group of friends getting together and making a thing, and then as you move through his work, you see him become a like a like a much like a standard standard's not the right word. That sounds very pedestrian. Like he becomes a more traditional director in that he's traditional's not right either. Like professional, he's a professional director, mm. um, and it's a really and it's a quite a short arc. Like he he progresses fast, and he mm. and it's good. It's it's good stuff. So yeah, it's really um, it's a really nice uh, like canon to dip your toe into. Yeah, that's no, I I really love that, and yeah, I didn't actually know that about you that you've made short films around effects um, to test them out. That's that's really cool. Um, can people see any of those shorts? Uh, no, but I do actually. I was digging something out a little while ago, and I did find some of them on a hard drive. So maybe I'll stick some online. Yeah, like even. I mean, like, these. Are, go on. They're like some. Some of them are literally like in-camera edit gags, like hidden edits. Just wanted to try it out, see if it yeah, worked. Yeah. Some of them are pyros. Some of them are like blood gags. Just literally, just like fucking about, doing some fun stuff. Love it. Love it. Um. Yeah. So uh, the, the commentary's great, and and my other. Can you guess? what my second favourite extra feature was on this disc. Is it the stuff that was filmed at Froyfest? <laughs> it might very well be. And why would I love that so much, Dan? Uh, because we love Froyfest, Sam. Because it, we selflessly love and, uh, and are very emotionally connected to Froyfest. Well, someone who I uh, love and am very emotionally connected to is Mike Hewitt, uh, who has been on this podcast before. He produces and edits this podcast and he makes a special guest cameo appearance on these extras because he runs yes. the intro and the Q&A um, of the film. Uh, so if you've ever wondered what Mike looks or sounds or dresses like or 
his body language, how he behaves. You can analyse all of these things on this disc. And it was very yeah. lovely to see Mike. I haven't seen him in a long time because I moved to Scotland. Um, and so that was a very pleasant surprise. Yeah. And, and it's much more accurate than the drawings I do on my secret blog. <laughs> Dan, you <laughs> promised you wouldn't talk about the secret blog. Um, no, yeah, Mike's great. And it's a really lovely um, Q&A. Like Rob is is just a star, really. Um like I really, really hope that his career continues to progress and he carries on making the films that he wants to make and doesn't get sort of taken away to do a Star Wars film or something. Because, um, yeah, I think he's a really, really unique voice in the indie scene. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I, like he's he's taken pains to make sure that he is doing his own stuff. Yeah. Like that he cares about what he's doing and that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, so so just to just to sort of yeah. go back to talking about the film more specifically but still very obliquely because we don't want to spoil anything very because um, there's so many twists yes i think one of the things and it's interesting like I, yeah one of the things about the film that uh people might not be ready for is that it is uh, a film about our souls um, right um there are very there's very little I and mean, there are moments of uh, connection between the audience and the characters but for the most part you're not really meant to like these people very much and I think that some audience members will find that slightly difficult it is a you know when you see an actor do a role and they're so good in it and you kind of hate them and you have to keep reminding yourself that they were just an actor because otherwise that role which was so good will taint other roles they are in because you'll be like yeah but do you remember that time they did that thing <laughs> do you remember that time they chased Shelley Devour with an axe like you know, when someone possesses a role, it can it, it, it can be a big thing. And and I and I think that it was despite the fact that I love films about arseholes, I do think that that was part of my my roadblock with it at the beginning was that I just fucking hate these people. But it's really good. <laughs> well, um, I I'm gonna quote I'm gonna quote the commentary now, Dan because um, oh, yeah. I thought you might bring this up and it, it is covered very nicely on the commentary. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, he um, does talk about this well. Yeah, he, he, he talks about how people, you know, ask him, you know, why would you do a film that kind of follows the villains type thing? Um, yeah. uh, and he said, the, the actual answer is compassion. I want to find out what made people this way. The world would be better off if we had a bit more compassion for the people who are angry. If we want to dig into why people are this way, we might get a bit more solved rather than dismissing them or pretending this behaviour doesn't exist because it absolutely does. So the answer there is compassion. And I think that... Like, if you watch stuff, like, so when I uh, first saw it, I said that it was Dead Calm meets It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. And obviously the people in It's Always Sunny are awful, awful, rotten, terrible people um, that yeah. do terrible, terrible things. Uh, on the disc, they describe it as Polanski's Knife in the Water meets Seinfeld, which is much yeah. more highbrow than my comparison but you know Seinfeld they're also terrible people so um I think people are kind of used to spending they're time self, with they're with self-serving them. psychopaths but they're less exactly uh, overtly psychotic um okay. I think the difference let's, let's, between we, we need to veer away from this let's steer the boat away from this because I worry we're getting into spoiler territory I'm literally just talking about Always Sunny versus Seinfeld. <laughs> okay, good. 
I think I think the reason it's more accessible in a comedy situation, and particularly in a thirty-minute or twenty-minute uh, single-camera comedy situation, is that the comeuppance comes quick, um, and and off and with any of these arcs, you know, not just Harpoon, but 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 any any story. For the most part, and I'm not saying whether this is addressed or unaddressed in Harpoon, you know, your your narrative structure means that you have set up and pay off, and if someone does a thing, then it will have consequences down the line. And often, if that person is uh, an unpleasant character, mm. you are you want that set up, you you want that payoff more than if they're a nice character. And so that can, if that come that comes faster in a in a in a short form narrative i hear you i hear that and and especially uh, comedy because then the, the 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 payoffs are fast and many because it's slapstick essentially it's emotional slapstick and sometimes I, literal slapstick. yeah i mean i will say that uh harpoon is a very very dark comedy just in case people yes. are oh yeah yeah it, it is it does have some some lovely like jet black comedy in it yeah, and so <clears throat> that's where the kind of tone of Sonny came from in my original comparison. I just want to make that clear in case people are thinking, oh, so it's not, you know, it's not funny. It is funny, but in a very kind of dark way. Yeah. Uh, shall we move on to recommendations based on the film or is there anything else on the extras that you'd like to talk about? No, I think we can, we can, we can move on. I'm a bit worried about, yeah, I don't want to say anything too much about it. Yeah, exactly. Just, just totally. watch it. <laughs> Um, honestly, if you haven't already bought it, please buy this one. Please support. Yeah, it's a really good disc. Yeah, really good disc. Okay, so I'm going to go first this time. Uh, my first recommendation, I thought I was really clever coming up with mm. this one, and then they mentioned it on the special features uh, <laughs> on one of the commentaries as a really, really, really direct influence. But uh, Lifeboat, Alfred Hitchcock's classic. Yeah which is another movie set on a boat where the narrative is driven by characters uh, and not necessarily, you know, plot. Uh, it's kind of a, a lovely sort of a unification of characters and plot, much like Harpoon. Uh, loads of twists and turns, and that's all I have to say about Lifeboat. If you haven't seen it, you should. You should watch all <laughs> of Alfred Hitchcock's films um, because they're all very good. Um you heard it I've here heard, first. I've heard good things. I've heard <laughs> good things. He's meant to be. He's meant to be pretty he's, good. He's all right. He's all right. Uh, Dan, what is your first recommendation based on the movie Harpoon? Uh, my first recommendation based on the movie Harpoon is a 2017 film by a director called Rob Grant. <laughs> nice. It's a documentary. I'm doing air quotes. Uh, called Fake Blood. It's. Uh, I think it counts as Rob's third feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd done uh, a very low budget zombie picture uh, he'd done a kind of Fargo-esque kidnapping horror uh, called Mon Ami uh, and then the movie Fake Blood is sort of uh, it's a documentary spawned by the idea of what does a director what responsibility does a, does a director who depicts nasty people doing nasty things have to society Oh, wow. Sounds like um, that would be a good recommendation for A Little More Flesh, but carry on. <laughs> uh, and it uh, may or may not move away from a traditional documentary structure. 
as it goes oh, on. Um, I have to as, see this film. As far as I know, it is not available in the UK ah. unless you do what I did, mm-hmm. which is sign up for a Vudu account using a VPN and pretend to be in America. Ah. And then you can buy it using your PayPal account. And it is not not prohibitively expensive and it's definitely worth your money. So Fantastic. Lovely. Great recommendation. In fact, I think your first, Truly if you sign great. up for a new Voodoo account at the moment, you get your first rental is like 99 cents. So you can just rent it for that. And then cancel your account. See you later, suckers. Well, no, it's not a, it's not a subscription account. You don't oh. pay. You just, you pay. Voodoo is an interesting um, on-demand platform in that they have a huge number of titles that are free and mm. it is free to have an account, mm. but the free but the free titles have adverts cut into them. Like oh, TV. okay, okay. Um, but then you can also rent or buy stuff yeah. like uh you know like itunes or, or whatever or amazon but i think it's i think it's owned by like walmart or somewhere or target very or interesting like so you know who knows how long it'll last mm. but it does have some really interesting small smaller like genre pictures from the states on it so it's definitely yeah it's worth adding to the repertoire but you can't access it from the uk without a virtual private network so yeah nice well, uh, my next recommendation couldn't be any more tonally different uh, to Harpoon. It's kind of a, a slightly tenuous recommendation, but I want to recommend this film. Uh, it's called Holiday. It's just been released, actually. No, yes. Um, it hasn't just been released because we're recording this way ahead of time. Uh, spoiler alert, we did Daniel Isn't Real and Harpoon at the same time because of scheduling things. So uh, if anything's happened in the world... Uh, and we're not talking about it, that's why. But yeah, uh, <laughs> Holiday, released by Anti-Worlds at the end Anti-Worlds, of February. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a, a very stylish movie uh, from the perspective of a, a gangster's girlfriend. Um, and tonally, it is very, very, very intense. It's kind of... Oh God, it's, yeah, it's like a kick to the face of a film. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, maybe put this on first and then harpoon afterwards if you're going to double bill it um, because you will need to recover after watching it. It's kind of brutal and, you know, slow paced. and, and It ticks all my boxes, basically. Like it is um, <laughs> a, a very, very uh, intense and powerful film uh, in a very cool way. Is that a fair description? I'm trying to be kind of yeah yeah no i can see why you're trying to be a little oblique it's yeah that's good it's it's a very good film it's a very good film and i think it's out on physical media now as well so you can yeah that's it it, it came out on yeah. blu-ray um yeah. at the end of february Re- so um yeah. you know i i think anti-worlds the early releases there's only a few but if you're a you... collector they're, they're all worth picking up yeah, you and I both recommend Chain for Life um, yeah. as well uh, recently. So yeah, yeah, they're, they're, and, they're putting out some great stuff. And then the the other release is Relaxer, um, and one of the special features on that is a film that I've liked for a while. Very excited to see it turn up on Blu-ray as like a special feature. Um, Buzzard, I don't know if you've seen Buzzard, Dan, but no, it's, I haven't it's, seen Buzzard. It's really good. I haven't um, seen Relaxer yet either. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, those are my recommendations based on Harpoon. Do you have one more, Dan? I do have one more. Mine is a a rare and hard-to-find little film called Cabin Fever from 2002. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And not just because Monroe Chambers looks quite a bit like Ryder Strong, or at least how I remember Ryder Strong looking. (laughs) Mm. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I think there are actually a lot of uh, connections. Obviously, uh, Cabin Fever has more body horror aspects to it, mm. um, but they're both uh, about people in the same kind of age bracket. They're both about people who are kind of trapped in a space, uh, and they're both about people that you kind of love to hate. Um, yeah. I, I I really, really enjoyed Cabin Fever when I first saw it. Uh, I To this day, I think it's probably Eli Roth's best film. Um, oh, and I, don't yeah, know. I know you're a big Hostel fan, aren't you? I, I think Hostel um, and Hostel Two are both great, genuinely yeah. great films. Yeah, I I would I, I I have time for them, but I definitely prefer Cabin Fever to Hostel and Hostel Fair Two. Enough. But yeah, no, I, yeah, I th- it's um, it's a it's a, it's another film made with some restrictions, but uh, it 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 moves above them, and it's a really solid little genre film. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I'm sure all of you have seen it. Fantastic. <laughs> fantastic recommendation but yeah people have seen it but what i like sometimes with our recommendations is probably more people have seen cabin fever than have seen harpoon but the the recommendation can be a window in like oh yeah okay i i get what harpoon is now yeah. so yeah, you know yeah. so yeah. yeah great recommendation right past couple of weeks dan i will go first again because you just went uh yeah. my first recommendation from the past couple of weeks is a film that you won't be able to see for a couple of weeks yourself um in this form anyway it is the second site release of magic on blu-ray which is out on march 23rd but is available to pre-order now i was lucky enough to get an early uh copy of this uh which i kind of hunted uh, like an animal because uh, I love this film and I'm really excited that it's on Blu-ray. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is brilliant in this very weird film about uh, a shy magician named Corky who uh, becomes a ventriloquist uh, when he develops an act featuring a dummy called Fats. Uh, it is a dual performance by Anthony Hopkins. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's really, really creepy and eerie. Um, and a magnificent performance at its centre, uh, directed by Richard Attenborough. Uh, it's it's one that I think is kind of... Uh, it doesn't really have the following it deserves, magic. Uh, and I'm hoping that... Um, yeah, oh, this Blu-ray will uh, will bring it to more eyes and ears. Uh, yeah, Magic, out on Blu-ray, on Second Sight, on March the 23rd. That is my first recommendation. Dan, what is your first recommendation? And have you seen Magic? You must have done. I have, not for a very long time. Uh, I, didn't know it was com- I did not know it was coming out again, uh, and the Second Sight discs are always nice, so I will definitely be getting that and rewatching it. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, again, nostalgia might be speaking here, but... Um, yeah, it is one that I grew up loving, so I'm really excited to see it again on Blu-ray. Uh, what have you been watching the past couple of weeks? So, welcome to the Anti-Worlds video podcast. <laughs> 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 because after we have already named three Anti-World uh, films in the Based On section, I'm now going to recommend Dogs Don't Wear Pants. It's been doing some preview screenings around the UK, uh, and I think it has either just come out theatrically or is just about to come out theatrically when this episode uh, releases. Um, It's about a man suffering uh, all-consuming grief after the loss of his partner who finds companionship with uh, an S&M sex worker. Uh, (laughs) And it is 
a peculiar and dark but actually weirdly touching film and definitely worth your time fantastic i haven't seen that one yet so i will check it out i trust their taste my next recommendation from the past couple of weeks is a film that the vast majority of you will have seen and it's not coming out on a fancy blu-ray or anything i just watched it on amazon prime uh and yeah believe it or not this is a first time watch but if there's anyone out there who like me has not seen miller's crossing (laughs) uh, then um yeah watch miller's crossing uh the coen brothers a massive blind spot for me um like i they tend to be for me personally very hit and miss like i love raising arizona i love inside lewin davis like two of my favorite what don't you like but um well i don't think i should go on record (laughs) with some of these films because (laughs) there's there's some stuff there's some there's some more recent stuff like their lady killers remake can absolutely do one obviously and there's some things that they just wrote that i'm little less keen on yeah basically i I don't like their cowboy stuff like um the netflix but that's all recent i mean i I actually Um, i I quite liked that some of them more recent i liked um true grit and i liked buster scruggs but yeah, no, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't a massive fan of those, and uh, I love Fargo. Fargo's great. Yeah, here's Blood where Simple? here's where people get annoyed. I haven't seen Blood Simple. This is what oh, I'm saying. Oh, you'd love Blood Simple, Sam. It's... I've got a double bill recommendation for you. Right, go on then. Blood Simple. Yes. And a girl, a gun, and a noodle shop. Right, it's a deal. Which is a remake of Blood Simple, set in ancient China. Oh my god! Right, I'm I'm on it. I'm on it. next time hopefully i will have seen both of these films um but yeah uh miller's crossing is obviously a masterpiece i loved it amazing performances the script is wonderful the direction is so fantastic like you know i it's really it was a really rich experience watching this film i felt in very safe hands very quickly and yeah so if you're like me and you haven't given it a chance do so it's great miller's crossing uh my deep cut recommendation of the fourth night dan and it's his next got that um, it's got that amazing foothead under the bed moment yeah which is just so fucking good <laughs> but yeah dan next from you what have you got so i'm glad you've done a really mainstream one because i'm going back to my usual thing of you can't fucking watch this um so <laughs> there's, a, there's a japanese dvd uh, which doesn't have English subtitles, and there is a fan sub SRT file floating around the internet. If you want to patch together a version, you can watch yourself. Um, it's called Detonation Violent Games. It's 1976. It's directed by Teruo Ishii, who did Horrors of the Malformed Men. But here's the kicker. It's a remake of West Side Story. <laughs> and it's so fucking good. Um, they've basically done West Side Story without the songs, uh, and it's ja- a Japanese biker gang movie. It's actually the second biker movie that Ishii did that year. Um, I think the first one's called Detonation Violent Something Else. I've never yes. been able to find it. Yeah, but yeah. Detonation Violent Games is the second one. Uh, and abstractly, yeah, it's a. It's depending on the translation, it's either the Black Panthers versus the Red Chilies or the Black Cats versus the Red Barons. But it's a biker movie. The only th- they've kept the narrative structure and the finger clicking. <laughs> if you're wondering why I went silent, story. if you're wondering why why I went silent just then when you said you know remake of West Side Story, I was thinking I have seen a detonation violent something film, 
but I don't remember it oh being. Oh God, have you got the first story. one? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've got oh, the first can one. We, can we do a little trade? Because I really want to watch the first one. I've not seen it. Um, yeah. I don't think they're narratively connected, but they're... Oh my God, it's so cool. Like No one no one does biker movies as cool as the Japanese. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a completely separate genre to the American biker movie, obviously. There's very little to connect them. Uh, they're much more born out of the American... The, the Japanese like relationship with American rock and roll. Yeah. But there's some great haircuts, great crazy bikes, some ridiculous bike stunts, and an amazing seaside, like, clifftop fight at the end. <laughs> Great, great. Wonderful. So shall we move on to extra features? Extra features. Extra features. Extra features, extra features, extra features. features. Dan, you've got an extra feature, is that right? I do, yeah. You will be very excited to know, given how much love we poured on him in the episode, that I got to chat to Rob Grant about his upcoming, uh, or actually when this goes out, maybe just gone, premiere at the Chattanooga Film Festival, which has a very unique element to it, which we will discuss now. So, uh, Rob joins me for a second time, uh, because of some technical issues, uh, to talk about the press release that's just gone up uh, for his next film, 65 Days of Static. So, both of us are treading some familiar ground here, but uh, for the listeners who are just joining us, can you tell us what's a little unique about the, uh, the screening coming up? No problem. The good thing is I have the memory of a fish, so... there'll all be new questions and answers to me or they'll be different i'd like that'll be the interesting part i have no idea um but uh, 65 days of static is gonna premiere at chattanooga and it's uh, a film that i've kind of worked on over evenings weekends over the last since 2014 actually is when we first started uh and we're just finishing it up and uh yeah it's gonna be screened once and then at the end of the movie we're gonna destroy it and uh that'll be the end of the movie that is, <laughs> that's pretty intense. Um, had that always been your plan? Definitely not. <laughs> you know, when you, we started making it, it was just, I actually started making it while a short film that I was working on at the time was in post-production uh, in Toronto, and I was back in Vancouver, and I was just bored. And uh, it's the second time I've done this. I had done a previous movie called The Desolate while I was editing Mon Ami and you know I get bored and I also get curious about different filmmaking techniques and stuff like that and so you know I'll pick up a camera with me and my close friends here in Vancouver and we'll just start shooting stuff and a movie called Desolate came out of that experience and then this time you know as I neared getting one finished it seems like it's a much different content a different world and I just kind of got curious about you know the idea of there's so much stuff out there, and that word content itself seems like a dirty word. It's no longer considered like a film. Uh, it's just this disposable thing. And I was like, you know what? Well, what if we took that to its extreme uh, <laughs> conclusion here and tried to make it actually disposable? Because I also felt, and this is just being an honest talk about it, you know, it's like I didn't want to release this as a normal movie in the first place because, you know, I'd have to go around to each screening and be like, hey, just so you know, this is not like a step forward from Harpoon. This is kind of like a sidestep in that I've been practicing these different techniques and I just didn't want to have to go around and people be like, this is his next film? Like, what the f- hell is he doing? Like, So it, 
it just spawned from a whole bunch of circumstances where I was like, ah, you know what? Maybe it's just more interesting as an art piece, and then we can have a, a, a bigger discussion, you know, about it being the process and not the result. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I could go on forever about you know the different reasons. It just they seem to change moment to moment for me. Um, it's like one of them right now. I was saying to my friend last night, it's just how liberating it feels to do this because. For years, my big joke was I'd love to just be able to make movies and then never have to show them to anyone. Uh, it's the showing, it's the showing them and trying to get them sold and trying to get them screened at festivals. That's the like real painful and heartbreaking process of the whole thing. And then when even that happens and then it's released and no one sees it anyway, that's like even more heartbreaking. So there's just there's <laughs> something about this has become very. Um, self-protective in the long run and it's been very uh, it's been a very nice reminder for myself that uh, you know it's I can just do this for the process and uh, you know share it with a very uh, small group of people that actually took the time and energy of their day and spent their hard-earned money to come out and watch this thing with me and that feels much more personal um, because I think for a long time I've forgotten about um, the enjoyment and the uh, intimate sharing with an audience if that makes sense absolutely um is it something that you uh you discussed with your collaborators on the picture or no you were just like you know what i'm making this decision <laughs> Def- fuck everyone else <laughs> yeah definitely not and not fuck everyone else um of course you know i i, I paid my actors uh, a little bit each for each day on this thing and uh you know i've like i said i put six years of my sweat equity into this and i just I think at this point it's because it's gone so it's like it's been such a long process too that I don't it just has a different connotation I don't think it makes sense to just release it normally and the alternative is it doesn't get released so <laughs> why not just why not just do it this way and then at least there's something to talk about about whether you know art can be this fleeting thing or not um yeah I don't know it's just uh it makes more sense to me this way it's also I I'm so sick of this being the film business. I just, you know, I just want to kind of scratch business out of that again a little bit from <laughs> just for myself because I've been getting too wrapped up in it, you know, Harpoon for its all its mild success that we've had for it and, you know, how much positive vibes we've been given for sharing it with people. It's just like, you know, you get wrapped up in a lot of that bullshit and, you know, what's next and how, how it's got to be bigger and grow. And it's just like Dave Lawson actually said something. I think he, I think what he, his, his guidance backfired on me at Chattanooga last year. He said, this can't just be an expensive hobby. And for the, like <laughs> I went into this existential dread for the next, like basically since for, for the like eight months after that being like, shit, this really does feel like an expensive hobby to me. And, I, and then I was like, you know what? Shit, what if it is just an expensive hobby for you? I have a different day job that, you know, pays the bills and then I can fuck around and do this shit on my free time. And that's honestly been it, it, the most happy I've been. It's when I'm, when I'm most miserable is when I'm actually trying to do it for a living, which is extremely difficult in itself. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, all of the positives that I've gotten out of this business has been when I just have said fuck it and gone t- not for the money and just for the pure enjoyment and art of it. And uh, so I'm just chasing that feeling a little more, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the, uh, you, f- you find that passion for the, for the process is m- traditionally more present in genre film and the people that work in genre film. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that that's part of what's drawn you, like kept you in that world? 
I mean, I've always been very honest that when I made our first movie like, yesterday, um, and people were like, mm-hmm. "Why? So why a horror movie?" But like, it's got shades of um, a drama. In it. It's a really bad movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, don't ever watch it. That's, I've seen it. <laughs> oh man, it's so bad. It's, it looks like a film made by a twenty-one-year-old that has nothing to say. That's for sure. On film? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it lacks substance, <laughs> that's for sure. And I watch it, and I'm just like, oh, God. Um, but if, where was it going with this? Oh, yeah, when people ask, like, oh, why a genre movie? And at the time, we were like, because if you make a bad genre movie, at least people are more forgiving than if you just make a bad drama movie. <laughs> and we were always honest about that. But I don't really have an answer for why I stay in the genre world. I've, maybe it is because the audiences and the people are much nicer and more forgiving. I have no idea, but I, I tend to find these dramatic, dramatic stories and then just be like, well, what if this really violent or crazy thing happened in that world? And I just find that perhaps more interesting. But, you know, you're probably right. I think that, I think that anyone that's making genre stuff in general, it just... You grew, at least for me, I grew up in this weird bubble of like, you go to the video store and maybe I'll pick up like a good, like whatever, um, you know, Link Ladder was making. And then you'll walk through the horror aisle on either the way there or the way back. And you'll be like, oh, that looks hilarious. So that looks awesome. And it's kind of like the nice palate cleanser as well. So I don't think there's the the pretentiousness that was there, uh, you know, for these big pictures. Cause up until recently you weren't expected to be able to win Academy Awards for your crazy little genre of movies and stuff like that. So I don't know, maybe that pretentiousness was just never there and that's why people enjoyed making them a little more. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, uh, you, you touched on it briefly, uh, but you did uh, a live as a director for hire. Mm-hmm. Is that something, you know, as, as your films get more attention, you get more success, is that a, a direction you're looking to continue working in? No, absolutely not. That was a tough learning lesson for me, and that's nothing against the people that hired us and brought us that project. I just, that's on me, thinking that I could take someone else's material and make it my own, and I just... I learned in the hard way that, you know, I, I, I need, A, to know my story and from inside and out. I need to be personally connected with it. And there's just a lot of things that I learned on that that I just realized aren't for me. So, you know, I won't be directing a Marvel movie anytime soon. I can guarantee you that. It's, uh, I'm perfectly content writing my own crazy little stories and sticking inside that world. The, the other part of it, too, is... You know, when you compare that with Harpoon, is because I did Harpoon directly afterwards as like a knee-jerk reaction to get back to like my own style of stuff. Was even Harpoon was really not well received by any anyone other than um, my producer. Pretty much is a good way to put it. Everyone was like, "This has no market value. This is the weirdest thing that makes no sense. Everyone's evil. What the hell's going on?" And that's that's kind of what I have the feeling is like the reaction is going to be always to my stories, just because I'll watch I watch so many movies and then I'll just be like, "Gosh darn it, I want to see something that I haven't seen," and then I'll write it and people are like, well, "No one wants to see this," and I'm like, "Shit." <laughs> so I feel like that's just the battle I'm going to be dealing with all of my stuff, and that's and that's fine. <laughs> And maybe that's why I, it, it's always going to be in this my little bubble. <laughs> Your expensive hobby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So uh, <laughs> last time we spoke, uh, you told me a little bit about your, your what you've got coming up next, the next script that you've written. Uh, are you willing to, to go over that again? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't remember how much I said, but, 
yeah, I've got a script called Talisman right now, or at least preliminarily called Talisman, and uh, I got a draft out there, and we've sent it out to a select few, and we have a few meetings coming up, but, uh, you know, no news yet, but uh, uh, if it does happen, like I said, it's going to have to be under very specific rules of how I want this thing to happen, and we'll see if any crazy people um, agree to come on board and do it that way, but... Uh, it's a it's a crazy script, I can say that for sure, and it kind of touches on the opposite. Instead of your bad friends and all the bad shit that they do to each other, it's kind of dealing with the opposite on how loyal are you willing to be for your friend. And, you know, an example is would, when the close friend comes to you and asks you to help dispose of the body, would you? And it kind of deals... <laughs> so it deals with those types of themes, and it's a little more in the Jeremy Saulnier kind of level of dramatic but hyper-violent at the same time, so... If it happens, great. If not, you know, back to my expensive hobby, and we do it on our own with no money. On the audio commentary to Harpoon, you talk about it being a conscious decision to be less experimental after the experience, or after the majority of the experience of 65 Days of Static. Do you think you're going to continue with those experiments where you're just sort of seeing what happens? Uh, or, or do you want to lock yourself into write a script, make a feature, write a script, make a feature, rather than these more experiential makings uh both 100 percent um you know a lot of what we did in 65 days of static like i said like i said we started that before uh, i had even shot fake blood before i had shot uh, alive and before i'd shot harpoon and a lot of what we were testing and trying out in 65 days became like super essential um to know that we could or couldn't pull it off in all of those like 65 days of static was entirely non-scripted like on weekend to weekend we just figured out like what do we want to do next how can we tie this into what we've already shot and then that came in handy with you know the very loosey-goosey affair that was fake blood and kind of figuring out where that story was going you know just a lot of the techniques that i tried just kept informing how we were going to do stuff on all all three of my movies after that so you know it's you know while i have this next script talisman and i want to shoot it that way that's not to say that i'm not going to i like you know other ideas come to my head i'm like huh i wonder how i could pull this off if we had this if this was our our rules for the day and like i kind of don't think that desire is going to go away um so I, I'll probably keep doing both. It'll be, like I said, Dave Lawson's going to roll over in his grave because it's going to be me just doing an expensive hobby till the day I die. But <laughs> I kind of I feel like that's how it's going to go. That's nice. I'm going to wrap it up there. That's, that's <laughs> a, lovely, uh, a lovely end point. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, last time we spoke, you threatened uh, to be a, a routine guest. Well, on the yeah. podcast so I'll, uh, maybe I'll let you know what we're, what we're doing and if a film is something that you have particular feelings about we can have you back on as, a, as an extra feature on the, on the podcast excellent that works I'm, all, I'm all, always down to talk I don't know where the conversations are going to lead to moment to moment as you can tell but I'm always down <laughs> <laughs> well I really appreciate it man thank you so much thank you there fantastic. you go fantastic fantastic uh, i'm saying that i haven't heard it yet but i'm assuming it's fantastic because i know what the weird thing is at the heart of that conversation and i know that i want to know more about it so good for you dan well done i'm glad you did that uh cool 
All right. Yeah. I'm, Rob actually threatened to uh, be a regular guest, uh, which I may take him up on because he is a delight to talk to. Oh, my God. Um, right. Can we take it in turns, please, seeing as that I said that he was my soulmate on this podcast? <laughs> yeah. I, don't, just don't come on too strong, Sam. Play it cool. Play yeah, it cool. That's, that is my style. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, let us move on to saying goodbye. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Let's do social media. Cool. Why not? Go on. Yes. How can people follow you? Uh, I am on both Twitter and Instagram at 13fingerfx. It's mostly me tweeting about the films I've just had and then occasionally, once an embargo, lifts flooding uh, people with behind-the-scenes pho- behind photographs. Oh, and right. then, yeah, that's all just uh, studded with photographs of, of cute dogs. Yeah, once the dog embargo lifts, you'll get several pictures of dogs. Uh, <laughs> I am on Instagram find me there i am sam ashurst 23 the number two the number three uh i put up pictures sporadically uh but significantly so follow me there to find (laughs) out what those pictures will be even i don't know uh right that's it thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time absolutely bye thank you bye (laughs) bye (laughs)